Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, December 2nd, 2022 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, How Much Protein Do You Really Need? from Women's Health. And Using Your Phone in the Bathroom from the Washington Post. Plus, Slow Cognitive Decline with Flavanols from CNN. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. How much protein do you really need? Experts say it's probably more than you think. In the ongoing convo around the best eating routine for health goals, one of the OG macronutrients, and where we get it, is undergoing a rethink. Listen up. Experts are loudly singing protein's praises by Courtney Rubin from Women's Health Magazine. When Carrie Forrest's steak with gorgonzola sauce was set down on the white tablecloth late in the spring of 2014, she began looking around the restaurant nervously. She wasn't famous, or at least not exactly. She had a vegan blog with an app successful enough that she'd just flown from her home in Pismo Beach, California, to present at a food blogging conference in Miami before flying up to New York. Forrest, who has a master's degree in nutrition, ate plenty of beans and soy for protein, yet she was exhausted. In fact, she'd been low energy for months, maybe ever since she'd switched to being vegan in 2010, inspired by Alicia Silverstone, a love of animals, and a hope that maybe she would feel better and lose the stubborn five pounds that kept coming back. Giving up meat was easy. It was yogurt that had been hard, but lately she'd started looking longingly at eggs in farmer's markets. In New York, though, something clicked. I was just like, this isn't working, Forrest, who's now 47, says of being vegan. I felt ashamed, but I also felt like, this is my health and I have to make a change, she said. She doesn't remember much about the steak except that it was delicious and also that she couldn't finish it. The next morning, she woke up and went right back to it, eating the leftovers cold directly out of the fridge. Almost immediately, she began searching for the words for her audience, and after revising more than half a dozen times, on June 14, 2014, she hit publish on Why I Am No Longer a Vegan, which included an apology if the headline caused disappointment, confusion, or anger. She held her breath. Within hours, she had hundreds of negative comments. No true vegan would ever listen to their body and eat animal products, wrote one, and bad reviews of her app on the App Store. So many people unsubscribed from her email list that she received an auto-email from MailChimp saying her account had been suspended because the company was afraid she'd been hacked. Forrest's close friends, also vegan, deserted her. I was pretty alone, except for my husband and my therapist, she says. But she held on, eating farm-raised beef, adding chicken to her stir-fry, and feeling her energy levels stabilize. It wasn't until about two years later that the first email came from a negative commenter saying she, too, had had to give up being vegan and apologizing for being so hard on Forrest. 
The emails began as a trickle, then turned into a small but steady stream, inspiring Forrest to publish a post that remains one of her most popular. Its title: How to reintroduce meat after being vegan or vegetarian. It's time to reframe the conversation around protein. After at least two decades of being nudged toward everything plant-based, even McDonald's rolled out a McPlant menu. A small but growing chorus of researchers and public health experts are pushing back a bit. It's not that you necessarily must eat meat, but that you have to be quite vigilant to get all the protein and nutrients you need without any animal products. Not everyone can sustain a healthy weight, meet protein and other nutrient needs like iron, and stay on a vegan diet, says Serene Gropper, Ph.D., R.D.N., a professor of nutrition at Florida Atlantic University, who generally recommends the Mediterranean diet. While Gropper notes that many people on vegan diets are healthy and meeting all their nutrient needs. She says that vegans can be at increased risk to suffer from hair loss and general fatigue due to protein or iron deficiencies. But first, it's important to clarify that yes, plants are many wonderful things, but one thing most are not is a wonderful source of high-quality protein. Because after years of being virtually shunned due to worry over too much saturated fat or too many simple carbs. Protein may well be the macronutrient of the moment, and many of us aren't getting enough of it, or at least of the right kinds of it at the right times. Humans need amino acids, the building blocks of protein, to mount a response to infection, as well as for just about every structure in the body: bone, liver, gut, tissues, hair, nails, skin, and the one that likely comes to mind first when you think of protein: muscle. But people tend to only think of muscle and protein in relation to fitness, and that's a mistake," says Gabrielle Lyon, D.O., founder of Muscle Centric Medicine. Over the past twenty years, researchers have come to understand that skeletal muscles are endocrine organs, just like the thyroid. During muscle contraction, they produce and secrete small proteins called myokines that can keep inflammation from getting out of hand. This is also why being under-muscled is fast becoming a health problem to watch. But this whole conversation isn't about how much or little you can deadlift. Patients with less muscle mass have more complications, longer hospital stays, and lower survival rates, according to an Annals of Medicine review of nearly 150 studies. Plus, aging bodies process protein less efficiently and need more of it to maintain muscle strength, bone health, and other functions. Start thinking of muscle as a healthy aging strategy beyond the aesthetic aspect, suggests Dr. Lyon. One way to do that: focus on high-quality protein, she says, which will protect you from many chronic diseases. How much protein do you really need? Although the RDA for protein hasn't changed for 30 years, it's a modest 0.36 grams per pound of total body weight, or 0.8 grams per kilogram. No wonder some people think they overconsume it. Researchers are now saying we, particularly regular exercisers, need more like 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram to support tissue growth. For most of us, this amounts to about 30 to 35 grams per meal, 
And FYI, the per meal language is intentional. You really do need to eat it all day. The body doesn't store amino acids, says Carol Johnston, Ph.D., R.D., a professor of nutrition at Arizona State University. That means it's best to have them available at any time. So spread your proteins throughout the day and make sure you have protein with breakfast. That may seem easy enough with protein added to everything from cereal to cookies to beer, but here's where things get tricky. All protein is not created equal. Proteins consist of molecules made from a sequence of amino acids, eleven of which our bodies make, and nine called essential amino acids that we can only get from food. In addition to being the foundation of proteins, the nine essential aminos are also signaling molecules. Basically, when you eat them, particularly one called leucine, they start stimulating protein synthesis. All animal products contain the essential aminos. Many plant proteins, except quinoa, soy, chickpeas, pistachios, buckwheat, amaranth, hemp seeds, and spirulina, are missing at least one. If you don't eat all nine aminos, nothing happens. That's why it's important to have a diverse diet if you're plant-based, so you can get the nine essential aminos from different sources. You can have, for example, leucine to stimulate the process, says Luke Van Loon, Ph.D., professor of physiology of exercise and nutrition at Maastricht University Medical Center. But you also need the bricks to build the house. You can have all the construction workers present, but if they don't have the bricks, the house is not going to go up. He says. By the way, these muscle building and muscle repairing properties of amino acids make it critical to keep protein levels up, even if you're injured or not able to exercise, which is, of course, the other way besides eating that your body assembles muscle. And although carbs give you fire for a workout, it's protein that has the staying power. Exercise makes your body more sensitive to those muscle-growing properties of amino acids, meaning it will use more of the protein for synthesis. This effect lasts for 48 hours after a workout. You are what you eat or what you just ate, but if you're physically active, you're actually more of what you just ate. Van Loon says. Plus, protein slows down carb absorption, preventing blood sugar spikes and crashes, and it's used to repair tissue, which is how your muscle recovers, allowing you to crush your sweat sessions week after week. Without protein, you're doing your body a disservice, says Dr. Lyon. You're fighting against yourself. Your body on protein. The next hurdle when it comes to protein equality is that the body doesn't treat all proteins the same, which means the number of grams you see on a label or nutrition chart is not the whole story. To paint the picture, around 85% of the protein in egg whites, whole eggs, and chicken is absorbed, compared with about 63, 72, and 75% respectively of the protein in mung beans, yellow peas, and chickpeas. According to American Journal of Clinical Nutrition Studies, the lower bioavailability of plant protein may be due to the presence of fiber, fuel for the gut, affecting everything from mood to metabolism, or tannins, which are antioxidants that, in the unintentionally comic world of science definitions, are called anti-nutritional. 
So while you can mix your plant proteins to make sure you're getting all nine aminos with a varied diet, the volume of food you'll need to eat can be a lot. For example, four ounces of skinless chicken breast provides about 31 grams of protein and 155 calories, says Gropper. To get the same amount of protein, one would need to consume 1.5 cups of legumes, 1.5 cups of rice, and one cup of veggies. And the calorie count is closer to 700, she says. You'll get other nutrients and fiber with the larger offering for sure, but we're mainly talking protein and overall volume here for comparison's sake. But plant protein is hands down better for a longer lifespan, right? Well, not so fast. That thinking is shifting. Take the case of cholesterol, once the reason we were told to limit eggs and shellfish. Guidelines that suggested Americans limit dietary cholesterol were nixed in 2015 because experts concluded that these foods, turns out, did not increase risk for heart disease. Quite a shift from the egg-fearing decades. Also, if you need another reason to embrace eggs, they are considered the gold standard of protein quality and digestibility because they contain all nine essential amino acids and almost every vitamin and mineral our bodies require. Saturated fat has also been somewhat rehabilitated. At least the sat fat found in whole foods like lean beef or full fat Greek yogurt. The recommendation to limit it to no more than 10% of total calories is not supported by rigorous scientific studies, concluded a study in the journal Nutrients. Other research suggests it's more important to consider the overall nutritional profile of a food than any individual macro or micro nutrient. When it comes to cancer, while there's currently no data showing that strict veganism, i.e., no animal protein whatsoever, is better for outcomes, there is a strong association between whole food, plant-based diets and lower incidence of several cancers, such as breast, ovarian, and colon cancer, says Neil Iyengar, M.D., a medical oncologist specializing in breast cancer at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Iyengar, who studies the effect of diets on cancer, recommends shooting for 20 to 30 grams of fiber per day, plus a diet in which fat is less than 35 percent of total caloric consumption. If you are vegan for ethical reasons, all of this may be completely moot. Is it possible to get enough protein on a plant-based diet? To be clear, hitting protein needs with a whole foods plant-based diet can be done, but you'll have to really plan if you don't want an astronomical amount more carbohydrates, says Dr. Lyon. Most people are not training hard enough, nor can their physiology handle a high-carb diet in order to get the protein, she says. While that is one expert's take, it's beneficial to know that processed soy products like burgers and sausages, along with high-quality vegan protein sources like mycoprotein, such as corn and seitan, can also be high in salt and fat. One solution might be plant protein isolates and concentrates, where the fiber is removed, so you better absorb them. But if you're vegan for sustainability reasons, it's worth considering that processed plant foods cost energy and produce carbon dioxide. What's more, we don't know exactly what is in some of them, nor their long-term implications. The bottom line on protein: 
What we do know is that we've been eating animal proteins and whole plants for 300,000 years and studying the effects for decades, even if protein is only just now getting its time in the limelight. Protein is essential for optimizing the quality of somebody's life and to prolonging it, says Dr. Lyon. The more muscle mass you have, the better your survivability, she says. For Forrest, the return to meat in limited amounts was a reset. I feel like this is how our bodies are meant to eat, she says, noting that it's much easier to balance her meals and her blood sugar. It's also a reminder of her power and her ability to decide what's right for her. It felt rebellious, she says, but also, this is my health and I had to make a change, she says. She's not the only one. Experts, too, are shaking things up to take full advantage of protein. Johnston, who's been studying nutrition for more than 40 years, recently changed her diet. Even though I'm a nutritionist, I didn't eat much breakfast, but now I make a point of getting the protein in the early morning, she says. Her top picks are cheese and eggs, she's a lacto ovo vegetarian, and she recommends yogurt to people with limited time or ability to face breakfast. Of course, you want to be strong, she says, but there are so many proteins that your body makes via the essential amino acids coming in from food, so having the ability to create them all day is critical. Time to pump up that protein. Up next, we all use phones on the toilet, just don't sit more than 10 minutes. By Mikhail Klementov from the Washington Post. Let's get this out of the way up front. Plenty of people use portable devices, phones chiefly, but also mobile gaming consoles like the Nintendo Switch and the Steam Deck while on the toilet. There's a good chance, in fact, that you're hearing this article on the toilet. Incredibly, a few surveys have been conducted on the subject. In one conducted by NordVPN earlier this year, 65% of respondents of 9,800 adults surveyed said they used their phones in the bathroom. But it also just feels anecdotally true. The habit isn't a new one. People have kept books and magazines by the porcelain throne for decades. With ever smaller and more portable devices in our pockets, it seems intuitive that we would turn to those devices in a quiet moment. Look, There are two types of people in the world, said Nir Ayal, an author and lecturer who writes about habits, focus, and human behavior. People who check their phone in the bathroom, and people who lie about checking their phone in the bathroom, Ayal said. The practice is normally kept behind locked bathroom doors and left politely undiscussed. But in October, there was a vibe shift brought about by the release of Marvel Snap. A new card game available on phones and tablets. Marvel Snap is the best game to play on the toilet currently, tweeted popular streamer and content creator Saqib Larik Sahid to his almost 655,000 followers. I hate Marvel Snap and so does my toilet seat, blared a headline on the video game website VG247. And although full disclosure may not be desired by readers of an article like this one, I feel compelled to say, I too play Marvel Snap on the toilet. I'm Spartacus. Which prompted the question is it healthy to sit on the toilet with a phone? I turned to a gastroenterologist for answers. You generally don't want to spend more than about, on average, about 10 minutes 
said Dr. Roshini Raj, a gastroenterologist at NYU Langone and the author of Gut Renovation, a book about digestive health. The Raj acknowledged that, like with many things in medicine, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. She pointed to three potential pain points for preoccupied poopers. First, sitting for prolonged periods of time could lead to hemorrhoids, sometimes painful, swollen veins in the anal area. Some of that comes down to the unique functional design of the toilet. There's a hole in the middle, Raj said, and so the actual anorectal area is hanging a little bit lower than the part that supported your thighs. Just by that position, gravity is causing everything to hang a bit, and that is causing pressure on the veins. So even if you're not straining, if you're just sitting there thinking of something else, doing something else, there is some pressure being applied to those veins, she said. More subtly, there's also the risk of your body starting to ignore its own signals. Peristalsis is the name for the progressive contractions that move stool through the intestine to the rectum, but sitting on the toilet for long periods of time not doing anything can hinder that process. If you're sitting for too long and not going to the bathroom, that kind of process actually stops. Raj said. Your body can start to not recognize those signals as well, so it can lead to constipation if you're sitting for prolonged periods of time on the toilet without actually having a bowel movement. This risk, Raj noted, is more likely to be one of many factors in issues like constipation rather than the driving force. Then there's the most obvious factor: bathrooms can be gross. Research shows that a toilet flush can aerosolize pathogens, spreading them to nearby surfaces. That can include your phone if you rest it on a sink by the toilet, for example. But even beyond aerosolized bacteria, there are risks posed by plain old bad hygiene. I see a lot of people who get food poisoning or catch different things by not having good hygiene practices in the bathroom. Raj said. If you're playing video games or using your phone on the toilet, you're probably touching a lot of things you might not want on your device. I just think, generally speaking, if you're on the toilet having a bowel movement or trying to have a movement, you shouldn't be using your fingers on anything else," she said. If you're staying within healthy time limits and, crucially, always maintaining good personal hygiene, your behavior probably doesn't need to change. But if you'd like to make a change, there are some simple ways to go about it. For starters, don't assign a moral valence to staying in the bathroom for too long," cautioned Ial, the author and lecturer. The rumination on the behavior can be more mentally damaging for our mental health than the behavior itself," he said. Just be intentional about your behavior, setting plans for what you do in certain settings. There's nothing wrong with taking your phone to the bathroom for a few minutes and doing your business, and then coming out. Ial said, but if you said, "Oh, I plan to be with my kids, but now I stayed in the bathroom for thirty minutes scrolling on TikTok or Instagram," well, now you're distracted because you plan to do something and now you're not doing it. So that's the best piece of advice: to know what you wanted to do with your time, so that you have a priority to spend your time doing that thing rather than wasting it in the bathroom. He said, "It's also important to remember phones and other mobile devices aren't inherently bad, nor are they insurmountably distracting. If you find yourself perpetually losing track of time, consider whether you're attuned to bigger stressors in your life and to how you're feeling in general." 
90% of the time that we get distracted by our phones in particular is because of what's happening inside of us, Ayal said. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. These sensations lead us to look for escape from our present reality. And so one of the important things to do with this problem, just like any distractions, is to ask ourselves, what am I escaping when I go to the bathroom for 30 minutes? What feeling am I trying to not feel by hanging out on my phone? Is it my kids are driving me crazy? Is it work is too hard? Is it that I'm bored? I'm listless. I'm stressed. And now I can take my mind off those problems, he said. The fact of the matter is, if we don't deal with that, if we don't know how to deal with that in a healthy manner, I think we will always find a distraction, he said. So remember, think about how you're spending your time and wash your hands. And if you're playing Marvel Snap, do no more than two matches if you're doing number two. Well, I am out of time for this week. Next week, I will read Slow Cognitive Decline with Flavanols, the article from CNN. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.